And then there are those times like this past week when I'd go and sit at the computer day after day and just, just sit there. <laughs> Harold asked me if I had my sermon done yet, and I'd have to admit that I didn't. Now, the lesson for today is certainly familiar enough. We're all familiar with the story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with the expensive oil, while Judas complained that the oil could have been sold and used to feed the poor. That's the story. What's the intended message? What's inside the Trojan horse? To better understand what's taking place nearly 2,000 years ago, we need to look at the previous chapter. This morning's gospel lesson took place just before Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem on the day that we now call Palm Sunday. It's the night before Jesus had spent his, the night with his disciples, the night before he found the donkey that he'd ride in with the people, placing their palm branches on the road as he rode into the city. Just prior to this, Jesus had recently raised Lazarus from the dead. And as the word of that miracle spread, we read in chapter 11 that because of this, and for fear that the masses would turn to Jesus as their new leader, the Pharisees were determined to have Jesus put to death. And we read in verses 47 and 48 of the previous chapter, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and destroy our holy place and our nation. Later on he would say, so from that day forward they planned to put Jesus to death. Well, what this really meant was that the religious leaders were fearful that they were going to lose their power and their influence over the people. In the final verse of chapter 11, we read, the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone could find out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. And if we were to continue on immediately following this morning's reading, we'd hear these words. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out where Jesus was, meaning he was about to enter the city, and they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Pharisees had every right to be concerned. Jesus' popularity was growing in these passing day. And it's within this context that we hear this morning's lesson. We need to know this in order to make sense of what took place at that last meal with Jesus and his friends in Bethany. It, it's interesting that in some of your Bibles, you'll find little listings listing other verses, referring back to other readings. And if we were to look at our Bible this morning under John 12, we'd find references to Matthew 26 and to Mark 14 and to Luke 7. And each of these gospel lessons are about women anointing Jesus' feet. <coughs> so often the case, from time to time, the various accounts seem to differ from one another. Matthew says that when Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, that a woman came and poured an expensive perfume over Jesus' head. And the disciples chided her for her wastefulness. Mark, who remembers writing for, for Peter, tells almost the same story. Actually, I suspect it's the other way around, because I think Mark's gospel was probably written before that, Matthew. But the point is that they're very similar. Luke's account's quite different. We talked about that a few weeks ago in our Tuesday morning Bible study. Luke has Jesus in the home of a Pharisee. And he 
says that there's a sinful woman who came and poured perfume over his feet and wiped him with her hair. And according to Luke, it was the host who questioned the actions. And it gave Jesus the opportunity to tell the story of the moneylender who forgave the debts of two men. One was a small amount, one was for a large amount. And then Jesus asked, which of the men would appreciate the generosity of the moneylender the most? The lesson to be learned was that the greater the sin, the greater the love for one who forgives. Now, some theologians believe that this morning's lesson is a totally different account from those that are told by the other three Gospels. I don't know. That may be the case. Others suggest that there's only one anointing. We, we just, we don't know sometimes about these things. It's very possible that various anointings could have happened at different times. The Gospels, you'll remember, were written between 30 and 40 years after Christ's ascension, and each writer was writing for a different audience. Only Matthew and John were actually present when Jesus was with them in those places. Mark is writing for Peter, and Luke is the companion of Paul, that he's the farthest removed from the actual events, although he promises that his writings are very accurate. So let's put all this aside and just focus on John's lesson this morning. John is the only writer to identify the woman as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And he names Judas as the one who criticizes her for her actions. So for me, I suspect this may well be the same anointing that was described by Mark, Mark and Luke, but, but not, I mean, by Matthew and Mark, but not <coughs> Several of the commentaries that I read last week addressed the extravagant, extravagance of Mary's gift. In fact, that word appeared over and over again as I continued to read it, so I had to stop and, and think for a bit. What was actually taking place? around that table so long ago. Matthew and Mark both write that the dinner took place at the home of Simon the leper. One of the other men that Jesus had healed. Now we know that Jesus and his disciples were in Bethany, only a short walk from Jerusalem, and there's no reason to doubt that this dinner party may have taken place in the home of Simon. And I doubt that Simon, because he was well acquainted with Lazarus and his sister, that both families would have been touched by Jesus, and it's reasonable to assume that Simon would have invited Lazarus and his sisters to be a part of this dinner that he shared with Jesus and his disciples. Up until this point, there's nothing unusual or out of the ordinary taking place during the meal. But then at some point in time during the meal, something very unusual began to occur. Mary comes into the room where the men were eating. Now, for a woman to come in for any purpose other than be serving the men would have been unusual enough. Sorry, ladies. But to come in and kneel at the feet of one of the guests was certainly out of place. The man's feet would have already been washed when they arrived in the home of their host. So what was Mary doing? What was she thinking? A woman would never have touched a man except for her husband and children, and then only in private. A woman would never have allowed anyone other than her immediate family to see her hair. And even if for some great reason Mary had decided to wash Jesus' feet again, it wasn't something that you do with perfume, especially a perfume that was valued at the cost of a year's wages for a peasant laborer. And finally, if this was meant to be or symbolize some kind of anointing, she would have poured it all over his head, not his feet. So what was Mary doing? What was going through her mind as she poured this fragrance over Jesus' feet and began to wipe 
positive with her hair. I guess Mary's actions could have been motivated by several things. It hadn't been that long since Jesus had called Lazarus to come out of the tomb after having been dead for several days. That in itself would have been a reason enough to do something very special for Jesus. Since the word was out that the Pharisees were looking for Jesus, it made sense that Mary might well have a feeling that this would be her last opportunity to say thank you to Jesus in a meaningful way. It's also possible that Mary realized that if the religious leaders had their way, that it would be the Romans who would kill Jesus and their form of execution would be crucifixion. That method that was used by the Romans when the intent was to kill not just the person, but to destroy what they stood for. Jesus would be killed in order to discourage others from following his teachings. And that form of death normally did not allow for a proper burial with the proper anointing of the body. More often than not, the crucified person was left to hang on the cross from the, to be scavenged by the birds and the animals. When his flesh was gone, he'd simply be thrown into a pit. Maybe, just maybe, Mary sensed that Jesus was about to do something very significant, and she wanted to affirm that action. We know that the disciples hadn't wanted to listen when Jesus had talked about his impending death. But maybe Mary had heard Jesus' words and had listened and understood what was about to take place. Anointing one's body with perfume would have been very appropriate for one who had died. Let me go back to that word extravagant for a moment. What Mary did, she did with abandon. Her extravagance in giving reflected a profound affection for Jesus, a sense of his worth to her, and a belief that her gift was a wise investment. When was the last time that you gave a gift like Mary? Was it Christmas? It was a birthday or an anniversary. Who was the recipient of your lavish extravagance? Mary's gift is a challenge to each of us here this morning. It challenges us to evaluate our care and use of our resources that we have at our disposal. And it requires us to recognize our communal responsibility in giving. If we all gave like Mary, what would this church look like? How might our community be impacted? What new areas of ministry might we be able to be involved in? What difference might it make if our resources would increase through our giving? Now, if this event had ended with Mary's actions, it would have been a nice, compelling scene that I could use to, to challenge each of you to increase your giving. But it doesn't end here. While others sat around the table engulfed with the sweet aroma of Mary's offering, Judas speaks out. He suggests that his concerns for the poor. But John makes sure that we know it's more than that in Judas's mind, defeating the poor. I think we can learn from Judas that not everyone shares the same attitude when it comes to giving. There are those who would give extravagantly, while there are others who guard their personal resources very carefully. We can learn from Judas that there are those who understand the cost of the gift, but not the value. We can learn from Judas that good intentions with no actions will make full change in the world. Jesus is rather, rather quick to silence Judas. While the other disciples may not have understood, Jesus knew where Judas was coming from. He knew what was in Judas' heart. 
And he knew it wouldn't be long before Judas would only betray him. He didn't do his arrest. Jesus said, leave her alone. She brought the perfume for the day of my burial. He might have added, but he didn't. And there's no proper burial to be had for my way. Then Jesus goes on to say to Judas and to the others, you've always had the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now Jesus was not making a slight remark concerning the poor, nor suggesting that they're, they're of no importance. He was quoting from the Old Testament instructions to Moses and the people found in Deuteronomy when God told the people there will always be poor people in the land. So be generous to them and do so without a grudging heart. This is the message that I'm constantly sharing with people when I'm talking to them about the work that I do with food for the poor. Our concern for those in need must go outside our own community as well as within. There can never be any misunderstandings as to Jesus' attitude toward dealing with the poor and those in need. But in this instant, he was making a distinction between Mary's act of extravagance and Judas's remark of contempt. We have Mary and Judas both at the table with Jesus, both with strong opinions about giving. So what might each of us learn this morning about being better? Well, unselfish giving will always trump good intentions. Judas talks about what might be done for the poor while Mary acts on what she can do for Jesus. And Jesus blesses her actions. If we were to look at Matthew's gospel, we'd see these words from, from Jesus. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. God doesn't include that, but Matthew does. Mary didn't do what she did in order to receive Jesus' blessing, but that was the end result. And surely that statement by Jesus has come true because, again, around the world today, the story of Mary's exact, extravagant gift is being told, and she's being remembered. Another thing that we can see this morning is that unselfish giving reflects the value the giver places on the recipient. We tend to give to those things that we value. If you find yourself at God's table this morning, and you're not giving back from what God has already given you, do you really value being here? If this is God's house and we're called to do God's work, then what value do you place on that work? Finally, we see that Jesus remained, or Mary remained in the presence of Jesus even after this event was over, after Judas had left abruptly to make arrangements to betray Jesus because his discomfort with the lavish and unselfish giving drove him away from Jesus and the others. Who would have thought that this season of Lent, which I repeatedly reminded you as a time of meditation and self-reflection, might also be a time to reconsider our commitment to God's church as seen through our giving. As we gather around God's table this morning, may God grant each of us the grace to be extravagant givers. I know the vestries challenged each of you to prayerfully consider your giving during the coming year. And believe it or not, Jim didn't ask me to preach this message this morning. <laughs> just the gospel lesson seemed to open the door and I just ventured in. As a church, we will always be committed to reaching out 
helping those in need wherever the possibility is, just as Jesus commanded his followers to do. And while we may not have Jesus physically with us here any longer, we do have his presence when we gather around this table. May we allow God's word to speak to each of our hearts this morning. Mary sought an intimacy with Jesus as she knelt before him and bathed his feet with costly perfume. May we seek a similar intimacy as we come to his altar this morning. And may we rethink our attitude and our approach as to how we give to God in the days ahead. How we acknowledge that all we have comes from God and how we give is an expression of our thankfulness for all that God's done in our lives. Jesus called his followers to store up treasure in heaven. We think of these words in the days ahead as we continue to.